with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Hello, and welcome to Calling for Backup. I'm your host, Mariah, and it is my hope and my intent to provide relevant topics and support for law enforcement and first responder families, particularly around emotional and psychological health. Each episode will cover a word, a skill, and a concept, so let's get started. Today's word is restless. And by the way, the whole point of doing a word each episode is to expand emotional vocabulary. I've found over my career that one of the first barriers I run into when working with first responders is a very limited emotional vocabulary and the ability to identify and articulate exactly what the internal experience is, is the first step to releasing it, clearing it, navigating it, understanding it. So that's kind of that's kind of the idea here. So restless, not a new word, a word a lot of us are familiar with. A couple things you might not know about the emotion of restlessness is that it's low frequency anxiety. It belongs in the anxiety family, which makes a lot of sense if you think about the physical manifestations of it. You feel itchy, you feel antsy, you feel just dissatisfied, kind of hungry for something different. All of that you know, sort of matches the physiological response to anxiety as well. It's just very low frequency. So we don't necessarily feel upset about something. We just feel out of alignment, like something is missing. Something's not quite right. We're craving something uh, without being entirely sure what it is. And the second part of understanding and naming an emotion is to identify its message because emotions are 50% of the information we have about any given situation. You know, we've got the facts, we've got the logic, I'm sitting in my house on a couch, those are the facts, and the other 50% of the information about our circumstance at any given time comes from emotional information. So it's worth it to know what each emotion is trying to tell you what is its message when it comes to restlessness typically it's a request for stimulation it's a request for a different type of stimulation or maybe just stimulation in general Uh, maybe a request to be outside versus inside a request to take on a new goal or challenge Uh, just a, a request for different or additional stimulation most of the time The trick to this when it comes to law enforcement or first responders feeling restless is it's very, very common. It becomes almost a default emotion. And part of this has to do with post-traumatic stress and or adrenaline addiction. And as we become more and more accustomed to those types of emotions, we start to crave those things. Our attention span decreases. We need more and more stimulation to not feel restless. So occasionally, counterintuitively, what's needed is to actually increase focus and attention and stay in monotasking type environments so that you can start to absorb satisfaction from your environment without it needing to be a very high intensity situation. So if you find that restlessness is coming up over and over and over, when no one around you seems restless, there's a chance that you might look at, are we dealing with some sort of adrenaline issue? And the answer is actually to increase your focus and attention on the monotasking or the single tasking or, you know, gentler 
living and finding satisfaction within that. So it can be tricky. It can be tricky. Restlessness can mean one of two things, you know, either more need for calm so that you can find satisfaction and joy within calm. Or if you are sort of in a numbing state or haven't had appropriate stimulation, mental, physical, whatever, it could be a request for that. And only you're going to know the difference. You know, becoming an expert of your own mind means paying attention to these things and noticing what that emotion's message is for you specifically. So restless is the word. The skill, the skill I want to talk about today is called the timer method. The timer method is really, really good uh, when you are struggling with focus. So really good when you're having attention issues, whether it's ADD, ADHD, or just decreased attention span over time, which tends to happen in law enforcement due to dopamine layering, which is something we can talk about another another time. Uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman has a lot of research in this area. But essentially all we need for this episode is to know that attention spans decrease the longer you're in law enforcement. So ADD, ADHD, post-traumatic stress, grief, and just prolonged exposure to law enforcement can result in attention span deficits. And so one of the skills that you can use when you're having a hard time focusing on something or having a hard time staying focused on something is the timer method. It's a very, very simple thing where you literally set a physical timer. I usually suggest starting at 20 minutes and you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to work on this thing that I don't want to do for 20 minutes. And when the timer goes off, I can be done. Now, at least half the time, the timer goes off and you don't want to be done. You're in the groove. You're able to keep going. You're able to keep focusing. But if that timer goes off, and here's the key. This is the only way this works. If the timer goes off and you still want to be done, but the task isn't finished, you get to be done. Because if you make this deal with yourself, you're sort of bargaining with your own brain that, you know, if you focus for 20 minutes, then we can be done. And then at 20 minutes... You want to be done and you don't follow through with what you've essentially promised your brain, you're going to break trust. And self relationship requires trust in the same way that relationships with other people require trust. So if I tell myself that I am going to do something, aka I'm going to stop at 20 minutes, and then I don't, the next time I ask my brain, just focus for 20 minutes, I'm going to set this timer, we're just going to do, we're going to knock 20 minutes out, and then we can be done. My brain is less likely to cooperate because I've broken trust. So it's actually really important that if at 20 minutes you want to be done, you let yourself be done for a certain period of time. A lot of times you'll hit 20 minutes and want to keep going, but sometimes you won't. And the timer method only works if your brain and your nervous system trusts you. So that's a really essential part of of the timer method. It helps with productivity, it helps with focus, and it helps you from falling into overwhelm as often. We want to stay within our window of tolerance. That's when our best work is done. We don't want to be overwhelmed. We don't want to be underwhelmed. There is this range of stress adaptation that happens somewhere between overwhelm and underwhelm. That is your window of tolerance. That's where our best work comes from. And that's sort of 
where we want to be as often as possible. And the timer method is one way to get there when you're struggling with focus or attention or other symptoms or even restlessness. Restlessness can make it difficult to focus and be productive because you just feel off, you feel itchy, you feel agitated, you're craving something different. So the timer method applies to a lot of different situations and it's so easy that's why I love it. It's so easy. It requires almost no skill. It just requires a little bit of discipline. It requires a few specific thoughts and intentions, and it requires you to be honest with yourself. And that's it. That's it. And and it really, really works. It sound, It's one of those things that it sounds so simple. It's like, mm, sounds a little dumb. I don't think that's going to make a big difference. Try it. Try it and see if that doesn't make a pretty big difference because we all struggle with motivation from time to time. We all struggle with focus from time to time. We all struggle with attention issues. And and it's just the severity that you're struggling with that. And the timer method can be a really good thing. Everything for I use this with my teenagers for homework assignments that they're dreading or for projects they're having a hard time making themselves want to do. I use it with myself. I've used it with clients dealing with, like I said, grief. ADD, ADHD, uh, post-traumatic stress, anything that could affect attention, focus, and motivation. So essentially life, like the human experience can influence those things. So this is a really simple, really effective thing that you can do and also use uh, to help support other people that may be coming to you for, I'm having a hard time. How many times do we hear that? I'm having a hard time focusing. I'm just having a hard time making myself get started. I don't understand why I can't make myself do this. Here's an actual strategy that you can offer versus like, oh yeah, that sucks. You just got to buckle down and do it. Well, if buckling down and doing it were working, they would not be struggling. We would not be struggling. So sometimes we need something extra and the timer method is a really good skill to keep in your back pocket. Again, it's one of those that sounds too simple to be helpful, but give it a try. Okay, so now we're on to the concept. The concept I want to talk about is the concept of you owe me. You owe me. This is a mindset that is really, really easy to fall into both for the cop and the cop's family for different reasons, but I see it so often. I see it so often. I see it in myself, in my own family, um, I, I think it's in my bio, but I'm married to a police officer. I was raised by a police officer and uh, I specialize in police psychology. And so, so I see it in my own life. I see it in the lives of the people that I work with and it is a recipe for resentment. It is a recipe for resentment when we fall into you owe me. And it's also a recipe for dissatisfaction, which links back to the emotion of restlessness. We're just dissatisfied. It's harder to absorb joy from our everyday situations, routines, jobs, people, places, things when we are in the mentality of you owe me, because then what used to be enough is no longer enough. And that's where the suffering kind of starts. So when it comes to cops, um, a lot of the you owe me is more towards the police department. You know, you owe me a promotion, you owe me a transfer, you owe me an award, you owe me gratitude, you owe me a pass. I've done a lot of really great things. You're going to nail me for this one thing. You owe me these things. And then that resentment builds and that dissatisfaction sets in and that negative thinking and then 
all the little things that normally wouldn't even hit your radar as irritants all of a sudden are flashing red lights because you're in the you owe me mentality. It, it really saps you of joy almost immediately. And then on the family members' parts, a lot of times I see the you owe me towards the cop themselves. You owe me all of your free time. You owe me a permanent good mood. You owe me my free time. You're not allowed to ask me for anything. Uh, you owe me all of my preferences, right? And and this goes back and forth. This is really married couples in general or long-term relationships. But because cops have sort of a different job, it's a different stress on the family, the shift work, the culture, uh, the counterculture, all of it that, that kind of goes into it that those of us in police families really understand, we do start to develop, well, because you're putting me through this cop, you owe me your free time. You work a lot. So when you're home, you better be on. You better be in a good mood. We better be doing the things that I like to do. Um, no one owes us a mood. It sounds almost silly when you say it out loud. But are you expecting your cop or your partner or the people in your life to owe you a good mood, right? When we really break it down, we're like, oh, I might be doing that. I might be do- I might be falling into the you owe me mentality. And we rarely think it in terms of those words. The cue to look for, the red flag to look for is resentment. When we're feeling resentment and when we're not feeling satisfied in the way that we were and we're not finding joy and we're finding you know little irritants become big irritants it could be a couple of things but one of the first places to check is am I falling into a you owe me mentality in terms of the relationship aspect not the department but the person to person you owe me one of the things that I try very hard to remind myself of all the time is that in a healthy relationship, there is room for all moods and all emotions. There is not room for all behaviors, but there is room for all moods and all emotions in a healthy relationship. So what does that look like? Sometimes when my husband gets home and he's just kind of fuming, I can tell he's had a stressful day, he's pissed off about something, I don't know what, but he's mad, and he's not talking, and he's sitting at the table and he's got his MDT open and he's typing away, right? And you can just see it. You can like see smoke coming off of him. And my initial response might be to be angry at him for being angry or to be frustrated that I feel like I have to walk on eggshells or to be whatever, Right. And it's a very helpful question. It's been a remarkably helpful question for me to step back and ask, what is he actually doing? What are his actual behaviors? He is sitting quietly at his computer. Okay, is it permissible? Is it allowed? Is that an allowable behavior for him to sit quietly at his computer? (sighs) Yeah, yeah, I guess that's an allowable behavior. So it's making room for the mood, for the emotion in a healthy relationship. There's room for that. Doesn't mean you don't talk about it. Doesn't mean it can be pervasive. Doesn't mean blah, 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 blah. But that is a good check. Am I believing that he owes me a good mood? That's a good thing to check. When it comes to departments or organizations or the city, this is a really hard thing to swallow. And this it's okay if this makes you mad. It's all right if this makes you mad. Just Just think about it for a minute. The only thing your department or city owes you is a paycheck. That's it. When you signed on 
police officers now speaking to the cops, when you signed on to work for that department, part of the contract not was not, you will express and demonstrate gratitude at this frequency. It was not, you will give me awards. It was not, you will promote me. It was not, you will give me these transfers. None of that came up. Opportunity for that came up. Maybe there were some assumptions that if you worked hard enough, you could get there and you still could. But timing and politics are real. Anyone that's been in or around law enforcement very long knows that that is part of it. Should it be? No. Is it? Yes. And we have to deal with what is, not what should be. That is just what adaptive coping is. We can't get stuck on how it should be. So when you fall into you owe me because I've done this, 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 and this, I should be getting gratitude, promotions, awards, transfers, whatever it is. But that wasn't the deal. That was not the deal. The deal was I will agree to be a police officer for this city. I'm going to take this oath to protect and serve and uphold the Constitution And you will pay me this much for doing that. That was the contract. That was the agreement. So if you're getting a paycheck, they're holding up their end of the deal. And I know that sucks. And I know that that a lot of times we have earned more than that, but they don't actually owe us more than that. So don't get stuck in that mentality. You agreed to do police work for a city if they paid you this amount And they paid you that amount. So they don't actually owe anything. And it's okay if that makes you mad. But that is the correction to the you owe me mentality that's going to bring you balance, that's going to bring you peace, that's going to help you return to a place of satisfaction, that's going to help you get out of that resentment and that negative thinking pattern where everything sucks and small irritants become big irritants. We don't want that. We don't want that. And remembering what the actual agreement was can help anchor some of that and tether some of that and buffer some of that. You agreed to enforce the law for a price. And if they're if you're getting a paycheck, they are keeping their end of the deal. They don't owe you anything more than that. Now, when it comes to our spouses or our partners, what we owe each other is not as black and white. But in general, in a healthy relationship, we owe each other some consideration. We owe each other honesty. And I believe we owe each other some effort. I believe we owe each other some effort, but beyond that, that's pretty much it. We don't owe each other a good mood. We don't owe each other all of our time. We don't owe each other every single one of our preferences. Essentially, you know, nuts and bolts, we owe each other some consideration, some effort, and some honesty. And what that looks like will change moment to moment. That will move up and down. Effort looks different in each situation depending on what the circumstance is, how hard it is for the person, what other things are on that person's plate. So keep in mind, if you start feeling resentment, what is it that you're believing they owe you? And is it fair? Is it accurate? Um, you know, when we look at how how our needs get met. Most healthy needs do not get met via debt collection, via what we're owed. Most of our needs get met from healthy self-advocacy and learning to show up for ourselves in meaningful ways. That's how most of our needs get met. It's, It's not often a debt collection thing. Now, monetary needs like the paycheck thing, yeah, 
that part gets met by the department. That's what they owe. That's their debt to you. But your needs are a lot greater than just, I need a paycheck, right? You need a certain amount of satisfaction. You need a certain amount of enjoyment. You need a certain amount of fulfillment. Maybe you need a certain amount of progress in order for you to attain a high quality of life. Most of those needs are not met via debt collection. Those needs are met through self-advocacy. So one of the things to notice if you find yourself, again, swapping back to speaking to cops now, if you find yourself in the headspace of you owe me this, insert the blank, right? Try to identify the needs, right? Is the need more money? Is the need a different schedule? Is the need stress reduction? Is the need increased interest in what you're doing? And then while you're working towards that, let's say you you decide that you need a transfer, you need a promotion, and under that need is a need for this other thing, right? A, A different schedule, a stress reduction, whatever. While you're working towards the transfer or the promotion, how can you take responsibility for those needs? What would it take to feel more interested or engaged in your work? right? In your work right now, what would that take? How do you take responsibility for that? How do you become more relaxed and balanced if the need is stress reduction right now? Which piece of that can you take responsibility for? What are some feasible financial options while you wait for the promotion that would give you a raise or while you work towards that? This self-advocacy piece, this what is the empowered version of this piece, the how do I really take responsibility for getting this need met versus becoming bitter about believing someone else owes me this need via debt. What would a truly empowered person do in this situation? That's an adaptive thought. That is an adaptive thought. That's going to get you somewhere. That will keep you out of that resentment cycle. And when it comes to partners and families, same thing. What is the need? Okay, I'm noticing resentment. I'm noticing I'm falling into the you owe me type of feeling or thought. What is the need? Do I need more logistical help? Do I need decreased loneliness? Do I need increased affection? Do I need reassurance? Do I need just more fun? Am I restless and I need to get out more? I need more excitement. What is the need? And then how do you take responsibility for that need as a couple, but also as an individual? Something that I learned really early on in being a cop wife was to always have two plans, right? Because we can sit and we can make plans as a couple and we all know that one call out away from that being ruined. (laughs) And now I get called out too. So now it's, it's even higher probability that plan A will be ruined. So something that helped me feel like I was taking responsibility for my needs and advocating for myself in a healthy way versus a resentful you owe me way was to always have two plans. The first plan, plan A, involved my partner, involved my husband. And plan B was how I would get that same need met if he couldn't be there. If it fell through, because otherwise it is always rolling the dice and I don't like leaving things up to fate if I can possibly help it. So having that first plan, let's say that I've identified I need more connection. I need more family time. I want more family bonding opportunities. So, okay, 
plan A is, I mean, that one's pretty easy for me because they'd be like, okay, we're going to go bowling. And if dad can't come, it'll just, I'll just go with the kids, you know, but other ones can be a little more tricky. If I'm needing more adult connection, then plan A is maybe a date with my husband. And plan B is I have a couple girlfriends on speed dial that, that can you know, go out with me that night or go spend time with me. Or if they can't, we can do, you know, a at least a FaceTime coffee date, something like that. So having those two plans for me is the strategy in taking responsibility for my needs, even if they are relationship-oriented needs. And that kind of keeps me out of the you owe me cycle and out of the the resentment cycle. Because here's the deal. It is a natural tendency to want our partner to meet all of our needs. But that creates a codependency. And that codependency leads to resentment, especially in cops, because they take care of other people's needs all day long. And a myth that you'll discover very quickly if you marry a cop is that while they are protectors, they are not interested in solving your problems. (laughs) There is an increased expectation of independence and functionality. When you're married to a cop, they really do want you to rise to their level or very close to. Now, the downside of that is it feels a little frustrating. It feels like you're willing to help everyone but me. The upside of that is it will make you so strong. I have become so much stronger mentally, physically, intellectually, uh, emotionally, relationally, all of it in being married to a cop and having to rise to that expectation. That has been a painful positive, but a positive. And, um, you know, another couple of things to, to consider in terms of this relational you owe me and how do we take responsibility for our own needs in being married to a cop specifically is they have decision fatigue. They have decision fatigue. They make decisions for other people all day long. And when they come home, you can read about this. It's very well documented in research. When they come home, the last thing they want to do is make another decision. And so what movie to watch or what to eat for dinner or what you want to do on the weekend, it seems like they're being indifferent when really there's just a lot of decision fatigue. So is that something that as a partner you're willing to step up and support? Is that something that would would be a good way to advocate for your own needs while accommodating some of the unique challenges that come with being a cop. Another thing to keep in mind is that there is a big difference in not having access to your preference and not getting the need met. My preference might be a date with my husband, but the need itself is connection. So It doesn't mean that I have to go without connection if I can't get a date in with my husband at that specific time. There's a big difference between I don't have my preference and there's no way to get this need met. It's very important that we know the difference in that in terms especially of self-advocacy versus all of my needs need to be met via debt collection. And the other thing to keep in mind is to have a very specific ask. That's another key part of healthy healthy relationships with a cop is a lot of times your cop wants to meet your needs. They just don't want to figure out what the need is. 
So have a very specific ask. No generalities. I need you to be more present. They don't know what that means and they're too tired to figure out what that means. That is very different from, I need you to text me more often throughout the day. Even if you don't have anything to say, I just need to know you're thinking about me when I'm not right in front of you because it's really easy to feel deprioritized when you marry into law enforcement because you're not out committing crimes. And because you're not committing crimes, you're not capturing the attention of the police officers very often. That can feel really hard. That can feel really lonely. That can feel really frustrating. But the need is, I need to know that I matter even when I'm not right in front of you. I need to know that you think about me throughout the day. That's the need. That can be met be met via text. I need you to text me more often throughout the day. It doesn't have to say anything. In particular, it can just say hi. And I will take that to mean I'm thinking about you and I want you to know I'm thinking about you. So, you know, little tips and tricks like that, very specific asks, something that I tell a lot of people and and a lot of people laugh about this, but I specifically told Mike, that's my husband, I need you to count to 10 before you let go of me when you hug me because I was getting these bro pats like I'm needing oxytocin right I'm needing that connection chemical and he's giving me a bro pat when he hugs me three pats on the back thanks bro what what is that what is that that's a no that's a pass for me but instead of just saying like your hugs suck or I need you to I want I want to feel like you mean it when you hug me or need, like I'm like okay specifically what am I asking for I would like you to count to 10 before you let go of me when you hug me perfect he knows exactly what I'm asking for at the end of the day cops like to be successful they like to solve problems they like to be effective just give them a roadmap just give him a roadmap and be reasonable, right? And so, of course, at first it started with sarcasm, like he would hug me and count out loud, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. <laughs> um, but, you know, after he was done making fun of it, then that turned to something that felt a little more natural and measurable for him, and my need was met. And I don't devalue that because I had to tell him exactly what I needed. To me, that's me doing my end of the work. That's the self-advocacy. That's me taking responsibility for my needs. I can't hug myself. I mean, I guess I could, but like, that's not what I'm after, right? I want him to hug me in this specific way. And my end of the work is to give voice to that. And then his end of the work is to respond to that request if he can. So it doesn't feel less to me because I had to tell him specifically what the need was. That was me doing my end of the work. And his response is him doing his end of the work. So just a couple of things to think about when you start to fall into that you owe me mentality, because I'll tell you what, even if it's true, even if it's true that you are owed something, it feels like crap. That mentality never makes you feel better and always makes you feel worse. So keep that in mind. It's an easy thing to fall into and the resilience-based thinking centers around Clarifying what you are actually owed, a paycheck, honesty, consideration, whatever that is. Then identifying what is the unmet need and what is the empowered version of taking responsibility for that need. Even if it does include other people, as it often does, what's your end of it? How do you take responsibility for that? And that's sort of the healthy version of you owe me is needs identification and healthy self-advocacy versus hoping to get every need met through debt collection because that's not really, it's not how it works. It's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. It doesn't feel good. 
So that's it for today. We've got restlessness for our word. We've got the timer method for our skill. And the concept is you owe me. So thanks for listening and hope to see you next time. Bye.